Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the special B20 edition of the CII Podcast. My name is Kamran Khan. I head ESG for Asia at Deutsche Bank Group. And as you know, the theme for the B20 India is R-A-I-S-E, which stands for Responsible, Accelerated, Innovative, Sustainable, and Equitable Business. So it it's, exemplifies India's strong commitment to add the emerging market perspective into the global ESG debate and dialogue. Uh, and, and you can see some of the action words in the theme. Uh, responsible, equitable, innovative, uh, there is a clearly a an approach and an intent to add the perspective of fast emerging economies around the world into this debate. So today we have the privilege of discussing these topics with Mr. Marcelo Bayard, Vice President of Sustainability and Group Affairs at, for Natura and Company. Mr. Bayard is from Brazil. He has a background in NGOs and journalism, and he has also served in key roles within the Brazilian government. So he brings a perspective that covers all facets of the economy and the political economy as well. For those of you who may not be aware, um, Natura and Company is a global beauty group that comprises Avon, The Body Shop, and Aesop. Uh, it is a very progressive, organization with some very, very well-known brands that have made extremely strong and forward-reaching commitments to address climate crisis, protect the Amazon, defend human rights, embrace circularity, and so on. So finally, uh, Mr. Bayar is also the co-chair of the B20 India Action Council for ESG. Uh, so he has a pretty good background on what the deliberations have been thus far uh, organized by CII, which will go into the B20, which will then feed into the G20. So we are really very privileged to have you, Mr. Vyar. Thank you for making the time. And we're looking forward to a fun conversation. So let's get started. Um, as one of the fastest growing economies in the world, India has a unique role as the chair of the G20 and then obviously the B20 with that. Um, what do you think is unique or different that India can bring to the table from that perspective? Um, you know, you've been, and, and then the, my second question after that would be, uh, I'll give you, you know, uh, heads up, would be thus far, how do you think things are tracking? Thank you so much for the question. Thank you so much for the introduction, Karen. And it's been my pleasure to be with you and to be with this debate uh, connecting G20, B20, the perspectives of Brazil, the perspectives of India from the private sector. So a perspective of business and ESG, I think, it will refresh the debate. So first to your point on India leadership and India has been central uh, at this point to renew the debate. And I think the ESG debate 
has been progressing a lot in recent years. It has evolved from corporate responsibility to sustainability to have more clear metrics. But we do need a more, let's say, global southern perspective to the debate so we can connect the dots. It's a global issue. It's not a local issue. It's not from one region only. It's for everyone. And India being a mega biodiverse country like Brazil, now being also the most populous country on earth. So there are, there are many social challenges to be, to, be, to be faced, not only by India, but for everyone who's on the global south on these important metrics that we are all connecting and trying to find the pathways uh, to a new model of development. And I think now under India's leadership, we are trying to set the standards to make common denominators between everything that has to be done by the North and by the South to achieve common goals and common metrics. Not only, and we spend a lot of time on the environmental aspect of ESG, we have not been spending as much time as we need on the social one. And I think India does have the view on how to build things and how to shift social realities. And it has been doing an amazing work in recent decades for taking millions and hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. And there is the whole strengthening on governance that will be needed to achieve those goals. So I think it's a central piece. It's a, a global leader that now has the possibility to connect the dots between North and South properly. I think that's the main challenge ahead. Fantastic. And, and you've been, as I mentioned, uh, involved in the deliberations of the B20 under the leadership of CII uh, as the Secretariat. How do you think things are tracking thus far, like in terms of the deliberations and dialogues that have happened? There's also a policy paper on ESG that was prepared. Correct. So I think it has been moving really fast. So we have not a lot of time to deliver important recommendations on everything that we've discussed so far. So I think the first one would be to establish universally adaptable ESG standards for everyone. So we have disclosures, reporting and rating on the same capability. So we all know what we're referring to. And I think uh, the, the group for B20 has been spending a lot of time on which one of those would be the recommended ones and how can we move this agenda forward. Then discussing which will be the pathways to facilitate the adoption of those metrics and those standards so we can not only use the opportunity to tackle the world's most pressing issues but also to develop and to innovate the industry in a way that will allow uh, new business models and new possibilities that will create innovation that will allow development as well and finally i think connecting the dots between risks uh, everything that regards governance and everything that regards implementation it's another angle that must be strengthened just to give you one example that i think it's um it, it expressed well one of my contributions to the group has been on the environmental side if we take a look at how we are performing on carbon we have already the right discipline set on the four main uh, contributors to the question and on the four main denominators. So we have IPCC, the scientific board, already establishing what is the carbon emissions and what is the number that the world must be seeking. So there is scientific agreement on carbon emissions. 
via IPCC. We do have on the political side uh, the Paris Agreement setting, which are the main contributors per country, so we know we can break our emissions, we know who are the biggest contributors, we know who has the, the, the need to, to take them down in the following years and what would be the pathway to do so. So on public policy, let's say, things are already more visible. On the private sector, we do have science-based targets setting how much each one of the companies is emitting and how much should be uh, the curve of abating and how that should be placed. And finally, on finance, we have the TCFD, Task Force for Financial Disclosure, setting which are the main economic contributors, which are the risks associated to emissions, and how can they be disclosed and reported in a way that can come across different geographies, different sectors, and that finance and investors can read well. So the problem of the carbon, let's say, standard between the four dimensions is that they don't really talk to each other so one understands the other but they're not connected so one company does not receive the proper investments to to abate its emissions and it does not relate to the national standards so this governance must be set and i think that's one of the recommendations on strengthening the governance and creating universable um universally adaptable ESG standards for carbon. Now let me go to the second layer, which I think is the most important one for mega biodiverse countries such as India and Brazil and many countries in Central Africa, which is the nature standard. We don't have the same discipline for nature as we have for carbon. Carbon has the discussion matured in many decades ago and it, you have more contribution to that but nature is as important or even more important issue and more urgent for sure than carbon because we are taking the tropical forests down without replacing them and that can create a crisis that will make the carbon issue even worse. So as I always state, there is no Paris Agreement without the tropical forest and there will be no tropical forest without the Paris Agreement. So we need to set the two standards and to connect them in a way that it will make sense for everyone. For nature, we do have already a new organ that, or a new institution similar to what IPCC does called IPBS, but it's super new, it only has two years and we do not have the right numbers and the right denominators in place yet. Reason why all mega biodiverse countries are still struggling to place value on nature and to create those assets and to create the nature-based solutions based on one common denominator. That common denominator must be put in place by a global organization that can collect contributions and create the same ways to analyze what biodiversity will score like in the coming years. So that's point number one for us to fix. Point number two is the public policy. And we have, as we have the COP for climate, we have the COP for biodiversity. And last year, we had in Canada, COP15, placing a new global framework for biodiversity, which was a major achievement thanks to the contribution of countries like India, uh, China, and Brazil, and many others. So with the new global framework, we have now two years to set which will be the national standards for nature. In the same way as we have 
DNDCs for carbon, will have standards on national levels for biodiversity and for nature. Those are called the NBCEPs. Those should be projects that would align all the interests between public finance, private finance, private sector and business opportunities to connect to national standards. So this is very important to be placed. Then we have on private sector, the science-based targets for nature, which is an initiative that is still pioneering. We don't have yet that mechanism in place and that should be put in place for us to have common denominators and the contribution from, from many others. And finally, the final piece, which is the central one that is evolving rapidly. And this one on the nature standard, probably is the one that is standing out the most, is the TNFD initiative, the Task Force for Nature Financial Disclosure, that connects rating agencies, connects investors and companies. We are also part of that initiative. And there we are seeing some progress on not only the methodology for how nature will be scored and how nature will be seen and read by investors on rating and reporting processes but we are still lacking the common denominator from the first part which is the science one connecting public policy connecting private sector once those standards are in place i think we'll be able to evolve fast and to create the pathway that will allow us not only to produce better but produce with taking carbon away of the atmosphere and also regenerating, which is the goal for the next decades, right? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for uh, a very comprehensive and, and detailed explanation of the key priorities for this G20 or B20 coming up. Um, on, the, on the biodiversity side, uh, you know, as, uh, as someone who has been sort of growing up in this uh, ESG world, um, over the last um, almost decade at this point. Um, it seems to me that we have a good opportunity on biodiversity in that in this, this area, which is starting late, uh, while it's late, that's not a good thing, but the good part of that is that here, the emerging economies have a very good opportunity to shape the debate, which frankly, was not done when the original ESG uh, frameworks were being thought about by EU and so on. So this, you know, leadership coming from Brazil, India, other emerging economies in biodiversity, uh, I like to think is a very positive sign that you'll actually have practical, workable solutions where it really matters, which is the emerging economies. Couldn't agree more. I agree. Uh... 200% with what you just stated. And I think, so just to break a, a few ideas on, on the, the need for us to connect uh, the dots between mega biodiverse countries and to offer solutions to that debate, as you stated so well, it is new and we can learn with the mistakes from the past so we can move on a, on a faster pace. So I think the first one is we learn with all the debate on carbon emissions, uh, on how important it is to have accuracy and how we need to avoid double counting and to avoid everything that created concerns. And I think that's why the reason for biodiversity metrics to be established sooner rather than later is so important. On the other hand, biodiversity is far more visible than, than carbon. You, 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 can, you can check that. It's 
it's determinate, it's geographically determinate. So it's feasible. And, and nowadays we, we have instruments like in Brazil, there is one instrument that connects satellites with the, the ownership of land, with how deforestation is progressing. That is a very important instrument. And, and to get those instruments in place, connecting that with what companies are doing also to regenerate degraded areas. Because as we all know, for the last 200 years, at least, farming has been progressing, but it's it's not as good as it could be. And there are many agroforestry solutions that could be put in place that would help to, at the same time, bring biodiversity back, be social inclusive, and help on the carbon solution. So I think one important piece of the debate for us would be to bring nature-based solutions into a good point of the debate and not into a controversial point of the debate. I'm sure that there, it will be needed solutions both on geological removal, but for sure the nature removal on carbon will be faster, cheaper and more efficient for, for nature uh, as a whole. So for us to align on how to build that and to build the right financial incentives so companies can have clarity on how to operate with nature and they can bring back nature will be, I think, the challenge for the next five years and for us to, to work on countries who are far ahead on the debate, the ones who are mega biodiverse. And finally, there is one uh, uh, very important issue, which is how we are going to connect the offsetting principles in a way that offsetting really means something for other dimension, not only the carbon dimension. Because nowadays what we see is a discussion that is focusing correctly on abating absolute emissions, but emissions will keep existing. And so in order to keep doing something uh, better with the emissions that do exist, we gotta work in a way to allow offsetting uh, projects to be feasible, to be to bring those three dimensions: social uh, positive one, a nature positive one, and a carbon positive one. So, on this debate, I'm totally for uh, reconnecting the dots between the agenda on carbon emissions and nature biodiversity. I think it will make sense for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, so let me take, change tracks a little bit, since I have you here and you, you, you uh, have a very, very interesting background uh, from your association with your company. Um, you know, you, you all represent, as I mentioned, some of the most progressive brands in the world. Uh, you probably have a much better sense than most people on what it actually takes to deliver impact. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's not a, not everybody can uh, sort of articulate that and understand that because a lot of people are still doing copy and paste. They haven't done it themselves. So if you had a room full of investors in front of you today and you wanted to tell them, okay, how should you look at companies when you're thinking about making ESG investments? What would you say to them? What, you know, what would you highlight for them? Like, you should look for this. Don't get fooled by that. What, what would be your tips? Yeah, so I think in terms of uh, which are the main 
the main criteria for looking at companies would be on materiality and the double materiality aspects of what they do, right? So I think, and instead of just getting the theoretical concepts, let me get to the very, as you refer to the very practical experience of Natura, who, who is a company that operates. So it was originated in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, 50 years ago. And when the first of all COPs, the, the COP for the Rio 92, the Earth Conference in Rio happened, the owners of Natura, they understood that there was a need to do something for what was our, our core uh, responsibility in Brazil, which was the Amazon. And how to operate and how to really make a business that would operate with the Amazon on a positive way. So that took a lot of time and that took a lot of science, innovation in order to bring fruits and seeds from the Amazon into the jobs. And I think the best example on how something can be material and how what you do is material to what you do, but also changes reality somehow. I always give the example for investors on the Ukuuba species. Ukuuba is a tree in the Amazon that was on the verge of extinction because it used to be chopped down in order to produce broomsticks and roofs in the richest part of Brazil. So the community would get for the tree around $12 per tree and they would sell it for the, the lodging industry. Uh, what Natura did was we studied the power of its fruits and we understood that we could do with the fruits uh, a revenue for the community three times higher per year than it would get for its wood. So we start doing that and the community immediately stopped chopping and started planting. So that's, I think, a very practical example on how something that you set on your standards and your KPIs to say, I'm going to work with traditional communities and I'm going to expand from a number of and nowadays we are operating with 44 traditional, over 10,000 people. So, and when you set KPIs that are clear on what you do and how they will affect uh, the realities surrounding you, that helps a lot. So uh, for investors, I think it's important to check how material and how dense the commitments and the, uh, and the aspects of the operation that the companies you're investing to are causing to, to the reality that they're engaging and how they're contributing with others to bring different solutions that will be collective, that will be common, and that will make not only your revenues better, but also other lines of the triple bottom line improving. So I think having those criteria of the other lines aligned is what investors should really be looking for. And what I, I fear nowadays is that there are so many indexes, there are so many ways to read companies that are mostly made via ii and that do not really capture the double materiality that investors can be fooled by the idea that ii do not get what we are really referring to and what we're really doing on practical terms so i think first human knowledge and understanding and talking and understanding what the double materiality really look like so, and then connecting that with the business capability of expanding what the, the positive aspects of the, of the operation can cause. So one, just to give one final example, of something that I think is very interesting that Natura did. In the last few years, the Amazon deforestation was really going very high and we had difficulties to read 
the connection between what we were doing and how the deforestation was progressing. So we, we made the connection with uh, third parties and NGOs that could allow us to have a clear visibility on satellite images of our operations and what was happening on the forest. And we started to disclose that with our financial results. So we will disclose net revenue, EBITDA, etc., but also deforestation indexes, so investors could connect the dots and could understand how we were progressing and how other elements that are important for our operation were progressing as well. And I think finally, just to wrap up, I know it's a, a very long answer, but how I think there is a role for supply chains and certifications, and maybe uh, we can talk a little bit about this as well, because what investors place their money, the, the companies where investors place their money at will be also the companies that will uh, supply with different criteria and that will have different effects on everything we do. Hey, exactly. As you were talking, I was thinking exactly that the supply chain uh, angle, it, it's, a, it's a word that's in the news all the time for the wrong reasons, like we're not getting the consumer goods that we want. But supply chains are also now becoming a tracking mechanism for sustainability standards in different countries. So a product starts from country X and goes all the way to country Z. And in between, it passes through many jurisdictions. And, you know, it is now becoming uh, a responsibility of the multinational corporation to keep that tracking. It's not something you can now um, basically assigned to, oh, this is the responsibility of this country or that country. It is, you know, you are preparing the product, you're telling your customers your product is sustainable, then you have the responsibility to track it no matter which country you're sourcing from, right? Sure. So that's a, that's another, obviously, a new angle coming up. How, how uh, you know, in Brazil, there's been a lot of certification kind of approaches for uh, supply chain uh, sustainability uh, substantiations, but I'm sure that it's going to go beyond just certification. So what, what's the development looking like right now on supply chains in Brazil? Yeah, so let me place the, I think there will be the two main elements, right? The first one is traceability. I think what mm -hmm. everyone is looking for is to have a clear understanding how things were sourced, where they were sourced, and, and how everything got into not only, um, we always cut uh, until the moment where um, it reaches consumer, but more and more circularity will become an issue because we don't have place uh, left in the world for so, so much that we produce. So uh, I think the traceability end to end uh, will be more and more important. Uh, what we did a few years ago, Natura was one of the founding members of Union for Ethical Biotrade, UEBT, which is one of the certifications that is looking not only into how things are sourced, but the social element of how things are sourced as well. And I think connecting those dots between doing well for nature, but doing better, even better for people as well, it, it will be more and more important. And the big discussion will move from how we are sourcing into how you are behaving with your sourcing process and who is uh, who is benefiting from it. So the whole discussion on access for benefit sharing will also grow in the coming years. And we do think that 
traditional communities also have a very important role to play here, connecting with business in a different way. Because the commoditization process was a, a very rough one on, on how we do things, and it will be now time for us to review those processes in a way to do it more properly. And I think having the two elements, traceability and third-party certification, will be crucial to evolve towards a new way of doing business. And that's how we are trying to place uh, everything uh, we do in Natura and in Brazil. Brazil still has a, a long way to go in terms of traceability, especially on the Amazon. The Amazon responds for half of the, the territory. So, the, but now we have technology that allows us, and I think we've been benefiting a lot from Indian companies that are on the verge of technology and that uh, has been contributing a lot to, to enhance that process as well. So this brings me to another um, interesting topic which I want to cover before we run out of time, which is South-South collaboration on this agenda. Um, you know, I, I go to all these COP meetings and I always feel like there should be a South-South pavilion where countries from the emerging South come together and, and put their talking points together, put their agenda together and then go out as one force to and, and big emerging economies like Brazil, India, South Africa obviously are going to be uh, very, very critical for and China would be very critical for that. Do you see a possibility of such collaboration happening beyond just the one-offs. I mean, I'm very happy to see you uh, playing a prominent role in in a B20 that's chaired by India. Um, but can we, do you see a possibility of that? And it, is it something that, you know, that can be pursued? Like I certainly, I will meet you in August in, uh, in New Delhi and yeah. we will have a bunch of other people there. Uh, it is something that perhaps can be proposed to India or the, you know, the next time around. But um, what are your thoughts on South-South collaboration on this agenda? And, and you know, it remind, the, the discussion of biodiversity reminded me of that because you all are collaborating on, on biodiversity agenda much closer, closely than was ever the case before. Yeah, I think that's an, in, an imperative for us to have a true global view. And I think it's there is the, the need for us to have a larger voice from, we we are 80% of the world population, right? The, the, the okay. South, so, uh, and, and when you go to all this COP and all those debates, unfortunately, that's not the representation that we see on the table. And I think it's important for us not to have a, um, a rivality between North and South, which won't be helpful. This is a global issue, but it will be helpful to have better representation and better alignment on the, the sizes of things, because we are very used to the economic perspective on developed versus developing countries, but this doesn't really help those discussions because here you have other elements you have the element on the big historical emitters and the big current emitters which is not necessarily aligned with developed and developing 
So, and the mega biodiverse and poor biodiverse are also a different way of establishing how the relations should look like. So I think there is some element still on the north-south, which is just refreshing the bottom of develop and developing. Uh, but there are other connections that must be established between countries that must align on the new KPIs and the new metrics that would help us to improve really uh, how can we do things better in a way that will be more carbon uh, positive, nature positive and social positive. What I, I think so, we I'll be in India uh, in August uh, with a lot of joy and I'll host, uh, we'll host uh, the G20 uh, after October in Brazil, we rotate the presidency. So Brazil will, will also try to create those dots and we'll have the COP30 uh, in the Amazon happening in 2025. So I think there is a pathway of discussions that will connect the elements of building something that is more truly global, I would say, not divisive, but truly global, mm -hmm. which is what we should all be aiming for. And having uh, the possibility of the contribution for elements who I think nowadays have zero value for the economy, like nature is not into GDP yet. So, and nor is, so we should rethink some of those things and help to establish the right standards that will allow uh, the flow of capital to incentivize things that will be nature positive. Otherwise, we'll get stuck where we are and no one wants that. Yeah, they're absolutely uh, correct. And I, I, I wonder, as we think about, you know, putting nature in GDP calculations or even basic environment in GDP calculation does not get computed. Um, when we start to talk about the social issues, that's completely not taken into account as well. Um, we talked a little bit about standards and harmonization of standards. So let me be the devil's advocate and, and, and ask you a, a, a controversial question, which is, okay, the standards were written with a certain point of view, with a certain set of experiences, mostly coming from developed uh, economies. Um, now we're talking about harmonizing those same very standards into emerging markets uh, and emerging economies where some of those standards don't make as much sense. So is harmonization the, the appropriate objective? And if so, and you could say, no, it's not. The objective should be to revise the standards. But if you say that, yes, harmonization is still a worthy cause, then the question is, how do you handle the challenge or how of harmonizing across two very different types of uh, sets of countries. Yeah, that's uh, that's the question moving ahead, right? So how <laughs> can we bring together and how can we connect the dots and how which are the common sets? But to not to run away from the question and, and to face it uh, on the eyes. I think the most important thing is to have the public debate established and those standards they might have been established with a very specific perspective that does not take into account things that are important for many but if we create different standards then it will be a, a 
the eternal war of who is setting the right one. I think we should just agree on which the common arena will be for the debates to happen. And then once that is established, once we know who, which will be the standard for, as I told you at the beginning, we know we already agreed on the scientific one, which was, I think, the most controversial one for emissions. Uh, we agreed on the political one. So that's a, another very important one for the political arena. I think the two others are still being managed and still need development. So I think the private sector one, financial one, we should, there is a question of the historical debt that the historical emitters have, and that must be faced. But there is also the question of curbing emissions down, because if we want to get to the same place, we have to acknowledge that we are big emitters as well. So uh, having that and having the arena set with that, we'll be able, I don't think it's just a matter of harmonization with what there is, what is already there. But it's a matter of discussing within what is already there, how can we place the correct numbers and how can we place the correct pathways to reverse how the problem was created at first place. So I am a true believer in dialogue. I am a true believer in the multilateral approach. So we, we do need a lot of patience. And the only problem is we don't have the luxury of time because that could take decades and we have to do that in months. So, but now we are connecting easier. We, we don't have to, to take long flights and wait for conferences. That will, so I think the new elements will help that to be sorted out. Very good, thank you. Uh, th this is as considerate uh, an answer as one could ever imagine for a very controversial question. So thank you for indulging me. Um, before we close, um, I wanted to just make sure if there's something, some message that you wanted to pass that I didn't ask you the, you know, a, a question that you were hoping I would ask. Uh, please go ahead if, if there are some comments you wanted to make. No, just want to thank you so much for the opportunity, for the privilege to be with you and to everyone that is listening to us. I, I do think that I am always a cautious optimist and I, I think the debate can be sometimes frustrating, too complex and that can take people away from the solutions that we are trying to create here. But I, I think it's a complex issue, it's not a simple one, but it's for us to build together the possibilities for us to improve what we have uh, and to advance in a world that I'm, I'm sure it's feasible. We did it before with the ozone layer. It was a global issue. It was very complex. It was hurting everyone. And we solved it without the internet, without uh, during the 90s. So I think tackling the three crises, the climate crisis, the nature crisis, and the social inequalities, it's feasible. It's just for us to keep the rhythm, keep somehow the optimism, and create the standards and, and the nominators that will allow progress to happen. But we are on the verge of doing so. Fantastic, Mr. Bear. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to meeting you in New Delhi. I look forward to meet you too, Karen. Take care and thank you so much for the kind invitation. Thank you and thanks to CII for organizing this. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.